Hi, and welcome to the Well-Read Podcast, a bi-weekly discussion on books and reading. I'm Hallie. And I'm Anne. And we are librarians who love to read and talk about books. And today we are discussing dark academia as our topic. But before we do, we have some housekeeping things to share. <laughs> First off, uh, we apologize for uh, the extended, well, not that extended, but we... we not by and, our standards. Yeah, <laughs> not by our extended break standards. Uh, but we did intend to have an episode a couple of weeks ago that would have been on the regular schedule. And then I had... I was traveling and then ended up getting COVID. And so it had to, womp we had to push, ba- I know. So we had to push back our recording date a little bit. So we apologize for that. And then, Anne, you want to do our second apology? <laughs> oh, yeah. So we saw that we got a couple, maybe just one, but uh, at least one uh, comment on, I'm not sure what, where the, comment came from but but that the fact that we have ads inserted into our our uh, episodes is not something people have enjoyed and we don't either we didn't know (laughs) that it was happening so we apologize for that um so hopefully they are i think that we adjusted some settings yeah and so hopefully they happen at the beginning and the end instead of just randomly in the middle in the middle (laughs) of the the conversation because we didn't know so we did not yes Sorry about that. That we we got some emails a while ago about ads, and I didn't think that they applied to us. And yeah, because they never, we never saw anything. From right, it. we don't get any revenue from it. Right, so we don't it's... make any money. We we lose money on this podcast. Right, right. <laughs> uh, because we just do it for fun, and we weren't. I don't know. We I just didn't notice that 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 was happening, and I edit the the episodes and then upload them, so I never hear them once they have been put through the hosting provider process and yeah so we apologize for that but hopefully we fixed it you will not hear ads randomly interrupt us anymore in the (laughs) middle of words or sentences (laughs) all right okay so that's it i think for all of our apologies until Uh, next time let's get to our the topic at hand uh dark academia and this feels like right up your alley to me imagine that Do you want to tell our listeners what dark academia is? I'm guessing some know, but some might not. So yeah. it might be good to just give a little little guidance on what that is. Yeah. So basically, um, a short a short version of or a short explanation is that it's it's um, books and you know media and an aesthetic that is interested in the mood of academia, particularly boarding schools and the Ivy League and Oxbridge and classics and Gothic architecture. And typically there, if you're looking at dark academia, like there are plenty of books that are campus novels that are, mm-hmm. that cover all of those things. And, and pe- lots and lots of people are entranced by boarding school books and, and Oxford and, and that style. But dark academia specifically is, has like this autumnal sort of feeling to it often there are like mysterious things that are going on or secret societies the gothic architecture is really important studying the classics or shakespeare is really important um so i feel like if you we we've mentioned a lot of dark academia texts in the past because mm-hmm. uh I like them and I think you like them too. Um, so if you think of The Secret History or Ninth House or The Likeness or The Magicians, those are all things that I would I would put in Dark Academia because it has this, there's a, a sinister like undercurrent that's mm-hmm. that's running through these stories, even though there's also this romantic, uh, romanticizing of school at, mm-hmm. at the same time. So 
I'm not really sure, or I, I wasn't sure why this had become a trend in the last few years, because I definitely have seen a rise of it. And mm-hmm. it's, it's sort of surprised me because I've, I've always known that I've loved that feeling, but I didn't have a name for it. And then I started seeing Dark Academia and thought, oh, wow, that's it. And so it's been around for a long time because The Secret History was written in mm-hmm. the 80s, I think. Mm-hmm. And, um, and movies like Dead Poets Society were very um, popular. Mm-hmm. But I know that, that it started popping up as a word in like the mid 2000 teens ish. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder if there is a link to adult fans of Harry Potter that have now oh. like taken yeah. a lot of those feelings and have said, what can we now apply this to? Like that, that to me seems like kind of a logical extension of that world. Yeah, um, I think that's very astute. I would not have made that connection, I don't ooh, think. That makes me feel good. I mean, not that, <laughs> no, not that I think... you didn't, but that I did <laughs> something. <laughs> no, no, because so I think I mentioned this in our last episode or in a recent episode. We've been rewatching the Harry Potter movies because, mm-hmm. or uh, they're rewatches for me, but my husband has never seen them before. So we've been watching them. And they are dark stories. I mean, mm-hmm. they really go to a much darker place than I think somebody would think it when they're thinking about books for kids. Uh, and so that, yes, I think you're, you hit the nail on the head. I think a lot of people probably who grew up with those stories maybe didn't even necessarily think of it as anything different or, you know, they mm-hmm. just thought, I want that Harry Potter-esque type of story. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And not necessarily the magic. But right. The... Just that sense of like the boarding school. Yeah, or, yeah. yeah. So yeah, I think that's a good connection that you just made because I also think, I mean, we can't, I feel like we, we talk about this a lot, but I mean... Social media, I think, has really exploded when a book becomes popular that it it makes it just so much more popular. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Like, so then when something, once people start talking about something, that becomes all the rage. Everybody starts wanting to read that. And I do feel like Dark Academia has, is having a moment on Mm -hmm. social media. And I feel like it goes right along with how much people love fall and they love, Mm -hmm like spooky stories because dark academia tends to be that like not scary but spooky kind of story that like dark themes right right but not not keeping you up at night because you're scared that there's somebody in your house kind of yeah yeah so I think that contributes to it too is that maybe there it becomes a little bit trendy you know people start talking about it and and that people know what that phrase means where they may not have 20 years ago before book talk right and you know social right. media was a thing and and actually a lot of the things that i i um a lot of the articles i i read some of them were tied to people who were decorating in in the style that mm-hmm. that's that's the that they've tried other trends and then have said oh this is actually what i really love and now mm-hmm. i i have a word for it and that this is the first time that that something that a an aesthetic trend has been tied directly to an internet phenomenon versus like coming from the like Joanna Gaines or something like that. Right. It's something very specifically internet. And uh, so those articles were also questioning why it's become so popular in the last few years. And that um, particularly since, you know, even since 2020, and they think that it's because people were not in school. And so there's romanticizing of a formal school setting when you you don't get to experience that because you're doing online learning, that then school becomes more 
yeah um romanticized yeah romanticized and and like like it it you're taking things from it that aren't necessarily, I mean, I guess that's the definition of romanticized, romanticizing something, but that, that there's, there's like, it's romanticizing it, but also there, the pessimism that, that we all kind of had, we're feeling during that time too, has, has infiltrated into it too, because that's a key to, um, to dark academia. It's a feeling of pessimism or moodiness mm-hmm. and like the, the romantics with a capital R sort of their view of the world of this, this like light and dark warring with each other sort of mm-hmm. thing. Like it, it all is wrapped up in this, this, this like goofy internet trend. <laughs> so it's, yeah. can we, it's completely fascinating to me. Uh, so I'm, I'm like, want to read everything about it and analyze it, but also live in it too. So, <laughs> all right, well, should we go ahead? Is there anything else you wanted to say about dark academia? I don't think so. Other than this is, this is a, kind of our back to school episode and I can't think of a better thing for dark, back to school because this is this is my favorite I know I know all right well why don't you hit us with your first one okay so the first book I'll talk about is The World Cannot Give by Tara Elizabeth or sorry Tara Isabella Burton and this is exactly the kind of book that I think of when I think of dark academia it's about a 17 or sorry a 16 year old girl named Laura Stearns who is very sensitive and she is accepted to St. Dunstan's Academy in Maine and she's dreamed of going there for years after reading a novel called All Before Them which was written by a former student at St. Dunstan's named Sebastian Webster and it's just a very romanticized and highly philosophical account of his years at the school and he wrote it and then went on to die at age 19 in the Spanish Civil War so you can imagine a book written by a teenager how florid the prose would be and things <laughs> like that so so Laura has read this book dozens of times and she dreams of having what the book calls a shipwreck of the soul and and wants this like just deeply intense emotional experience but she's disappointed when she gets to the school and she realizes that not everyone is obsessed is as obsessed with the book as she is and then she meets a girl named Virginia Strauss and she is a member of the school's chamber choir and she's extremely high strung and she sincerely believes in the Christianity that's practiced at the school because it's a it's a Christian school. It's a very rigid Christianity. And, and so she ends up holding herself to an incredibly high standard and sort of creates this cult of personality around herself from the other members of the choir who are all boys. And they all, the entire choir, all adore Sebastian Webster just as much as Laura does. So they bring Laura into the group and they sort of create their own found family. And Laura really loves being around them and with Virginia, but they require a lot from her. So they do things like have midnight rituals in these caves and they do nighttime cliff jumping and they go on intense early morning runs along the cliffs and there's just complete devotion to this group and particularly to Virginia and they just have this the intensity of their relationship just just ratchet ratchets up whoa I said that terribly just ratchets up continually as they're getting to know each other so they love the elite elite nature of the school and that it's very insular but others hate it so there's another student named Isabel Zhao who is gay and wants to see the school become more inclusive because she has felt excluded so much while she's there. And she starts to fight against everything that Virginia and her group represent. And because they have this tension between their their group of, of friends and Isabel, that 
eventually terrible things happen that I can't say because it spoils stuff, but there's terrible, terrible things that happen as a result of this this uh, sort of standoff between these two groups of students. And um, I think it perfectly captures the way that teenagers and young adults can be very impressionable and be devoted to big ideas without really seeing the bigger picture of what those ideas are saying. Um, I know for myself as a teenager, there are lots of books that I read that I now think about and that I felt just so just emotionally, I'm trying to even think of an example, and I can't right now because off the cuff, but, but books that I felt were so, just understood me so much. And then I've read them more recently as an adult and have thought, oh, wow, there's a lot of issues here. <laughs> and and I think that this book really captures that. Um, it definitely is getting into the issues with romanticizing academia and um, what it makes to wall yourself off in a world of learning and that usually means a white and straight and male world and mm-hmm. what people are willing to do to protect that romanticized space. And and I could even argue that that's what most of dark academia is trying to do. So again, this is what exactly the kind of book that, that comes to mind when I think of this trend and uh, it was pretty fun. So I read it in, in uh, one flight and I was completely engrossed by it. So I liked it a lot and that is the World Cannot Give by Tara Isabella Burton. I remember when that came out, it has an interesting cover, I think, mm-hmm. like a, a noticeable cover. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Sort of um, was one that caught my attention, but then I, too many books I had. I never picked it up, but uh, but it sounds interesting. My first one is The Cartographers by Pang Shepard. This is about a woman named Nell Young, who was raised by her father after her mother died when she was a young girl. As an adult, she is thrilled when she gets a job at the New York Public Library in their maps division. It's a very esteemed division of the library. And part of the reason she's so excited is because that's where her father works. And so she has grown up with her father as a big influence in her life. And so she's thinking this is kind of the dream job. She's going to get to work with him in this department. And that's all she's ever dreamed of. However, she is shocked when one day she discovers or she sort of stumbles on a map that seems just sort of like an ordinary map. It's from it's an older map. I think it's from the 1930s or 1950s, something like that. And it's a highway map. It's like I was picturing like one of those sort of like AAA maps or something like Mm -hmm. one of those fold out maps that shows you the highways in a state and um, all the rest stops and things like that. And so she thinks it's sort of just like, why, why is this here? Was She finds it among all these priceless maps. And her father kind of flips out and gets really upset and ends up getting her fired and <gasps> basically ruins her reputation in the profession. Like she's have, she can't get another job at any sort of prestigious library or archives or anything like this after this event and as you can imagine she is just stunned she doesn't know what happened she doesn't know she just doesn't have any clue how that came to pass she thinks it was this worthless map that she found and somehow that set her dad off and then they've been estranged ever since and so that is that all happens before the book starts and you learn you learn about that pretty close to the beginning of the book because what happens is she gets called because her dad has died in his office at the library and so she is called to come and 
basically collect his things from the office, you know, clean out his office. And as she cleans up his office, she finds that very same map that caused all this trauma years before. I think it's maybe seven years before. She realizes when she finds it, when she's cleaning his office, that there's something about this map clearly that has a connection to her father more than just the fact that he's responsible for this maps archive. And so she starts questioning, well, wait, he died in his office. This map was in his office. Are they connected? Was he murdered? Was, you know, was this not an accident or like a natural death? And so she decides she's going to get to the bottom of this and figure out why this map was important in some capacity for her father. As she starts researching and as she starts diving into this, she discovers that there's this shadowy organization that are only known as the cartographers who seem like they really want this map, this highway map. And so very quickly it goes from her thinking she's going to do some research to realizing she might be involved in something pretty pretty dangerous. So this is a little bit like of a sideways dark academia story, I think, you know, it isn't at a school. It isn't um, what some people might consider like a classic <laughs> dark academia because it's not um, in a college or boarding school, but it is in academia. It's a lot about mm-hmm. research. It's in a yeah, library. Yeah. So it, it's certainly in the genre. I was so, this book kept me just entranced as I was reading it. I just couldn't figure out kind of where it was going, what was happening. I will say I thought the ending was a little bit of a letdown, but I don't think that should keep you, if you haven't read this book and it sounds interesting, I don't think it should keep you from reading it because the rest of it was so good that I think that's why I was a little bit disappointed in the ending because I was so involved in the book Mm -hmm. and involved in the story that then when it ended the way it did, I was just sort of like, huh, I would have maybe gone a different direction. <laughs> um, but it was it's just a very suspenseful, sort of a little bit of adventurous book, uh, very atmospheric. Like there's so much of that library archives atmosphere mm. to it. So yeah, I really enjoyed this. This was what this was one that kind of surprised me when I read it. And that's the Cartographers by Peng Shepherd. That was one. I think that was the first year on my first year of the committee for me in, in your last year if I'm remembering right, that, and I really wanted to get to it and I, I just never did. And, and it's been sitting, I think I kept that one because it sounded so good and so, so up my alley. Yeah. I think it's worth reading. And I think that endings can be really hard. I think sometimes it can be hard to stick the landing and and it's clear the author knew the whole time where the story was going. I just felt a little bit disappointed, but yeah. Anyway, okay, tell me your next one, because I like this one. Yeah, this is one where it does very much stick the landing. Mm-hmm. That It is the, I guess the, I'll talk about the whole series technically, but the, yeah. the first book is Truly Devious by Maureen Johnson. And this is a YA mystery, but I think it stands right there with most adult mysteries. I think it's just such a well-done book um, and book and series. So it takes place at a private boarding school in rural Vermont called Ellingham Act. Uh, academy and this is a place where exceptional teenagers are allowed to be creative so you have scholars and innovators and artists but they're all kids who didn't fit into a traditional high school setting because they're too driven by whatever passion project they have so they it might be someone who 
is doing really, really cool stuff and gets terrible grades in, in their classes because they're just too focused on some other interests that they have. So the school was founded in the 1930s by Alfred Ellingham to foster these kinds of kids, but it's also the site of a terrible tragedy when his wife and daughter were kidnapped and his wife is later found dead and his daughter is missing. And um, soon after this happens, he receives a, a sinister letter that was the only clue about the the um, the things that happened to his family. And it was signed truly devious. And it has a riddle that listed ways that you can murder someone so it's just very strange and the case was never solved and it's um in the book this is a, a fictional thing it's one of the most famous cases in u.s history so in the modern day a girl named stevie bell dreams of attending ellingham because she wants to solve this case because her tr- her passion is true crime and so she's accepted to the school on this basis and she lives in a dorm with other kids who are driven by all kinds of creative pursuits and um, the school gives them all the means to be as creative as possible. So um, Stevie is is trying to delve into the Ellingham case and then odd things start to happen at the school. So one night she wakes up and there's a version of the truly devious letter projected on her wall. Like, it was just so creepy that she like wakes up and there's words on the wall ah i remember that scene so well and i read this a long time ago um and other things happen like there are um entry passes that go missing and then are mysteriously returned and then eventually someone ends up dead so um i don't think it's i mean i i guess it could happen but i think it's really hard to go wrong with a murder in a mysterious boarding school for your your basis for a book um and there are multiple mysteries to solve in one book and it's funny and there's a little bit of romance and it just has kind of everything you want in this in this um in this package so like i i read this i finished the series at least probably during covid i would say like maybe 2020 and i still remember really detailed things about it because the, the writing is really good. The setting is really compelling. But Stevie herself is just such a great character. She has a panic disorder. And so everything that she's doing is also accompanied to w- with this personal uh, struggle and her overcoming these struggles to, to find her potential. And so she just has really great co- character development as well. Um, like I said, each book kind of has its own little Uh, mysteries that are contained within it but there's this overreaching arc through the entire series and I love the way each book each book builds on each other so I would say to read this to read all three of them at once if you can because they all link together um and they're it's not like each book is its own because of the overarching uh mystery it's like three pieces of one whole so it's Mm -hmm. it's really great if you can do it all at once but it's still each book is very satisfying as you get to the end of it and it just leaves you eager for the next and then the ending is great so i love it and that is truly devious by maureen johnson yeah i read this first one and really enjoyed it and i don't think the second one was out yet and so i thought then I was going to wait, I think, till it was a full series. And I haven't gotten back to it, but I definitely want to. I might need to reread the first. I don't remember yeah, it very yeah, yeah, well. Sure. So, um, but yeah, I like Maureen Johnson. I like her books and I really liked Truly Devious. So I'm going to have to pick the series back up. Yeah. All right. My next one is Never Saw Me Coming by Vera Kurian. And this is set in college. It's about a girl 
named Chloe. She is 18 years old and she has just gotten a full scholarship to John Adams University in D.C. And she's thrilled because it gives her the opportunity that she has been hoping for. And you don't know at first what that is. Uh, Have you read this? I'm laughing because I read it, yeah. Okay. (laughs) So... What you learn quickly is that Chloe is a part of a group of students who, uh, and it's a small group, I think it's seven people, who have been admitted to the university as part of a study, like a psychological study on psychopathy. While in exchange for her scholarship, she needs to like undergo counseling, she needs to complete surveys, she needs to participate in experiments. And the whole idea is that the university has this department that are, is studying these students to understand psychopaths, basically. Chloe, though, <laughs> isn't just excited about being able to go to college. The reason she's excited to go to college is because there is another student there who assaulted her. She's been holding out hopes to exact revenge on this person ever since and going to this school is going to give her the opportunity to do that pretty early on in the story students from this group start dying and chloe realizes that there might be somebody a, a serial killer targeting people in this group even though nobody is supposed to know that this group exists and even the students in the group i you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think even they're not supposed to know who else is part of the group. I think that's my, it's been a little while since I've read it, but I think you're right. That's my memory because I think she does befriend somebody else in the group and they're, they're not supposed to know that the other one is part of it or something. I don't, I don't quite remember that detail. But anyway, so this is a very dark book. <laughs> I mean, you, uh, you have a main character who is a psychopath and... If you like the TV show or the books, uh, Dexter, that there's a series of books that the TV show is based on, I think that this would be right up your alley because it's very much about getting inside the mind of people that have these psychopathic tendencies. So it's it's pretty twist. It's a pretty twisty story. It's pretty dark. It's a little bit a little bit disturbing, I would say, but it it's very compelling and it definitely is the dark. <laughs> That puts the dark fart in dark academia. <laughs> so that is Never Saw Me Coming by Vera Kurian. Yeah, that was, I remember thinking that was a fun one. It's an interesting take on yeah. the campus novel. Because there have been a lot of campus, excuse me, there have been a lot of campus novels recently that have been about, we've talked about them, that have been about a group of students and one of the students dies and and then 10 years later or something, they go back to campus and right. right, and they're figuring out what really happened that night and stuff. And there's some very good ones. I mean, it, some I've really enjoyed, but I felt like this was kind of a different twist on that yeah. idea, uh, which made it unique and interesting to read. Yeah, it made it stand out a little yeah. bit more. Okay, what's your last one? Um, so last, I'm going to talk about Babel, which has a long subtitle. It's Babel, or the Necessity of Violence, an Arcane History of the Oxford Translators Re- uh, Revolution by R.F. Kuang. And I talked about this kind of recently. Usually I try to not talk about books. I, I sort of have a two-year window of, of not letting myself repeat a book. Um, but I talked about this one late last year, I think. And I I wanted to because I think... It's a really important book within 
the genre. And I think that dark academia or campus novels generally can be a very white space. Mm-hmm. And this is a book that's directly critiquing that. And so to me, this is kind of an essential text that has to be included when we talk about this, this subgenre because it's, it's, um, it's a great example of, of the subgenre, but it's also bringing up a lot of issues with it too, of, of romanticizing uh, academia the way that, that some of us, uh, including me, tend to do. So, um, so it's set in a magical version of Oxford, and I feel like I have told people about this book more than any other book this year, so maybe this will be the one at the end of the year that I, I bring up as my, my uh, most discussed book. Um, I actually went to Oxford for the first time in May and I wouldn't shut up about it to the friend that I was with to the point that we were in a bookstore and she finally just bought a copy of it because I kept (laughs) harassing her about it at every every location. I would say, in Babel, this happens. And she's like, okay, fine. I, I get it. So the book starts in 1828 when an unnamed little boy in China has just been orphaned from a cholera outbreak. But immediately he is found by an Englishman named Professor Lovell, and he is renamed Robin Swift. And he already speaks English because of a steady shipment of books that and tutoring that he's been receiving for years. And he realizes that these, these English books have been coming from the professor, but he doesn't know why. So they go back to London together, and Robin begins a rigorous program of linguistic study to prepare him to go to the prestigious Royal Institute of Translation at Oxford, which is nicknamed Babel. Babel is the is the center of British power and empire, and we're kind of at the height of that that empire in real life in in our history. Um, and in the book, that is made possible by silver working, where silver bars are inscribed and uh, are used to add power to everything. But they are especially used to aid in language and, and translation, which has direct implications toward colonization and and what the British. Um, are doing to move into different territories around the world. So Robin becomes part of this effort. And at first it seems like a dream come true because he loves Oxford and he loves languages and learning, but he begins to realize that the skills that he has as a foreigner are being exploited by the British to oppress China and other um, countries that are uh, his friends come from. And so he starts to question the whole system. And uh, one day he learns of a secret society of thieves who are conspiring to take down the silver working system. And he has to decide what his future will be, whether it's to change that system from within or to break it entirely. So this is a fantasy novel. Um, it's it's definitely um, taking on dark academia and taking on a lot of, like as I said, critiquing all of these things of, of having a, a perfectly preserved uh, space of learning that we romanticize and uh, considering what that actually means. And in the publishing information, it says that it's a response to both The Secret History and Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. And I thought that was that was very true and that makes it a great read-alike for fans of both books, which I am one of those. And so um, it also is clearly influenced by Great Expectations, um, but instead of propping up the system like that book sort of does the main character wants to burn the system to the ground so it's it's has all these these things about it that make you really analyze the history of of colonialism and that's something that comes up a lot um 
all the time. We're always seeing the implications of that, but it also has this fun magical school story along with it. And so those two things together are just perfection in a book to me. So that is Babel by R.F. Kuang. You'll be happy to know I do own a copy of this, but I have not, not read it yet. It's a good winter book. Yes, yes. It wasn't, yeah, it didn't feel, I got it, I think, I don't know, now in the spring or summer, but I would never felt like a book that my I was in the mood for in these sunny yeah. summer days. So, um, but yes, I will get to it. All right. My last one is Magic for Liars by Sarah Gailey. The main character is Ivy Gamble, who is a private investigator who has grown pretty disillusioned with her work because it re- it generally revolves around watching people cheat on their spouses and trying to catch them or people who are faking medical malpractice claims and then she has to show that they're lying and things like that. And so when the headmaster of the Osthorne Academy for Young Mages approaches her to ask her to investigate a death at the school, Ivy is intrigued because this is obviously different than her day-to-day routine of uh, adulterers and medical, I don't know, (laughs) insurance fraud people. She's reluctant because her sister works at the school as a teacher. And Ivy is estranged from her sister. They're twins. And she, she isn't sure it's something that she wants to get involved in and have to interact with her sister. But she can't really resist either the money or the idea that she might actually get to solve a murder. Um, and, and there is a question of whether it is even a murder or not, or whether it was an accident. Um, but it seems kind of suspicious. So, uh, so Ivy goes to investigate. And you learn that the reason that Ivy and Tabitha, her sister, are estranged is that Tabitha has magical abilities and Ivy does not. And that, that Tabitha, when they were in high school, discovered these abilities and started manifesting them and Ivy didn't, (laughs) she didn't, nothing ever came. And so it caused them to just have this rift and and they don't really speak anymore. So as Ivy gets to the school and starts investigating, what she realizes is that pretty much everybody at the school had some sort of motive to kill this teacher and everybody is hiding something. She starts having kind of a, a romantic relationship with somebody and it seems like they're hiding secrets. So everybody seems to have secrets. And the part of the reason I really liked this book was because it was such a good blend of the fantasy aspects with the magic. But as we all know, if you've listened to our podcast for more than a few episodes, you know I'm not the biggest fantasy fan. I like it in very specific ways. And this book does it in the way that I like it, which is that it's more of the backdrop. It's like the Mm -hmm. setting is magical and a fantasy-esque setting. And and that's not the whole thing. It really is more of a mystery. It really is more, the story is more of an investigation and a mystery than fantasy. Like I wouldn't hand this to a fantasy fan saying, this is a great book that you're going to love because of all the magic in it. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? So Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I also liked it because part of what it does is it explores the relationship between the two sisters. And what you realize is 
that they're both flawed people, just like people are in real life. Like there's, it's not black and white. One person isn't right and one person isn't wrong. And, and that's true of a lot of the characters in this book. I really liked it. It actually reminded me a bit of The Secret Place by Tana French, mm-hmm. um, but just with magic instead of <laughs> no magic, <laughs> like Tana French. So that is Magic for Liars by Sarah Gailey. Okay, we will be right back with what we're reading this week. Okay, Anne, what are you reading this week? Um, so I'm reading The Cloisters by Katie Hayes, and it turns out that you were also reading The Cloisters by Katie I did. Hayes. I, I just read this, yeah. Which is very funny. I, um, I started it because I thought this was going to be one of my picks, but then I didn't finish it, so I just thought, yay, bonus. This is fun. <laughs> Um, and I also like that it's set in a museum, which, like you were saying yeah. um, earlier, is 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 fun to have a dark academia book, but it's a different setting than yeah. than just a university or a boarding school. So, um, so that's another reason why I liked I, or I wanted to include this. So it is about a woman named Anne Stillwell, who is a recent graduate of Whitman College in Walla Walla, and she grew up in town. She's a townie, and she's eager to get out. And at some point. Um, before she leaves, I can't remember how recently her this happened, but her father died in a car accident and she had been very close to him, whereas she wasn't as close to her mother. Um, and her father was a custodian at the college, but spoke several languages and he used papers that he found while he was cleaning to teach himself and therefore to teach Anne. So in school, she's specialized in early Renaissance art and she was interested in how artists at that time incorporated elements of elements of the occult and um, divination into their art. So divination is is um, learning about the future and and um, reading fortunes essentially. And people in past centuries were extremely uh, obsessed with it. <laughs> so she is accepted to a prestigious summer program at the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York. But the first day she's there, she's told by the director that they don't actually have a place for her because the advisor that she was supposed to work with left on a last minute research trip. So she's basically being told, you have to go home. We don't we don't want you. And at the last second, a professor named Patrick Rowland walks in and um, starts chatting with her and asks if he can take her to his program instead. And so she wouldn't be at the Met, but she would be at the Cloisters, which is a Met offshoot I guess that's located in northern Manhattan and it's um Joseph is is shaking around um it it's sort of the location for all of I I don't know if it's the entirety of the Met's medieval collection but they it's the I think the majority of their Mm -hmm. medieval and renaissance art collection and it looks like a gothic monastery so Anne knows immediately that this will be a different program than she expected but she's very excited about it and so she has a colleague who's another student who is named Rachel and she's a a New Yorker by birth and she's very elegant and clearly has some sort of close possibly romantic relationship with Patrick and together they're very interested in the history of tarot and particularly in finding a link to the occult in the earliest uses of the cards Um, so apparently tarot is something that only recently has become an occult thing that it, it used to just be um a game before like the 18th century or something like that and so they think that there's a link that exists to the earliest uses of tarot but they 
they don't know and they think that Anne's research will help them get there. So um, on the fringes of all of this is the gardener named Leo and he specializes in the poisonous plants that are grown at the cloisters and he doesn't like Patrick and Rachel very much but he he becomes attached to Anne pretty quickly and so she finds herself pulled into all of their hidden activities at the museum. Um, so she finds a 15th century tarot deck that seems to be the link that Patrick is looking for. But uh, as she um, becomes part of that research, she realizes that his obsession is not just academic. So this recent, th this is a debut and I think it reads that way, but mm -hmm. it's very much fun and very uh, much what I want to be reading right now. <laughs> so mm -hmm. um, I think that one of the things that really appeals to me about the book is that it talks early on about the romance of history for people who grew up in parts of the country without that history. So mm -hmm. I really identified with that. Um, where I'm from, there's obviously tons and tons of Native American and Mexican and, and pioneer history. Um, that's all very prominent in the West. But when you're from cities in the West, they're not old. And so when you read about locations that have tons of um, history that is not part of your life, it's very easy to become obsessed with that. And I get that completely the, the when she talks about that in this book. So um, I think the setting is really well depicted. I love that it's, um, like I said, it's academic, but a different setting. And it just made me keep going on the Cloisters website to look at stuff that they talk about in the book. And, and that's always a fun thing for me. So that is The Cloisters by Katie Hayes. Yes, I just read that this weekend. And it would have been really funny if because I <laughs> I didn't put the when I added my titles to our outline that we keep of what I was going to talk about today. I hadn't I did that over a week ago, I think. Yeah, and so yeah. I figured, well, whatever I'm reading, I will just go in and talk about that day and so I just finished this the cloisters uh now now it's been a couple of days because we had to postpone our recording but that's what I was thinking I was going to be that's talking so about funny. So funny we've never had that happen we've we never had that happen and I wouldn't have book. thought because I would have expected that you were reading something for the committee and I thought that this came out a couple of years ago so I don't think I would have. no it came out November of last year so it was oh. right at the, the it Very is eligible. High end yeah. of eligibility. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, fascinating. Anyway, that's so yeah. funny. Okay, so what I am actually reading is The Lost Husband by Catherine Center. And I don't know if I've mentioned it here. I've definitely mentioned it on my Instagram. So, if you follow me there, you already know that I have been on this Catherine Center reading binge recently. I don't know what it is, but I read, um, oh, shoot, it's something happiness, walking. Walking to Happiness, Walking Back to Happiness. Happiness for Beginners. Yes. That's yes, what it is. Yes. Love that. Then I read Hello, Stranger, her newest book, and loved that. And so then I decided to go back and read her, the novels I hadn't read, basically, which were her first few novels, because mm -hmm. um, I've read everything more recently. Um, sadly, this is the... I'm getting, I'm getting, it's dwindling the number of books that I have yet to read of hers. But she just hits that perfect sweet spot, sweet spot for me of books that are not heavy, but they are not fluff. They are just that perfect middle of the road, sort of, middle of the road in a good way. Of, mm -hmm. They have some, some heft to them, but not, but they're easy to read. And they have a little bit of romance, but it's not straight 
romance. It's not like only romance. There's a lot about character development and stuff. So I don't know. They just hit that sweet spot for me. So this one is about Libby Moran, whose husband died in a car accident two years before the book opens. So when, when the book starts, she is living in her mom's condo with her two young children, and she generally just feels pretty stuck. She has a job as a bank teller, which is really boring, but it's just sort of something to do. And she's, again, living in her mom's condo, which is an ideal. Her mom is very judgmental, very critical of Libby and the choices she makes or doesn't make. And so she's just sort of stuck. She doesn't know what to do next. When she gets a letter from her Aunt Jean one day that invites her to come with the kids and stay on her goat farm. Aunt Jean has a goat farm and invites her to come stay there and help. She says she has arthritis. She's getting a little bit older and she could use the help. And in return for Libby doing some of the chores around the farm, she and the kids can stay there and that um, Jean can help watch the kids when Libby is working. Libby pretty impulsively just decides to do it because she's, she's so sick of her life at her mom's and she thinks this is this is an out, this is an opportunity. So she packs up the kids and she goes. And when she gets there, she realizes that her mom has always spoken really disparagingly about Jean, almost like she's this recluse mountain woman, like unkempt, um, no friends, all these things. And when she gets there, she realizes that's not at all who Jean is. Uh, Jean has, lives in this very charming small town and she has this farm and she has a pretty great life actually. And, and Libby starts um, making a life for herself there on this farm and with Jean. The kids start also flourishing. You know, they've been sort of stuck since their dad's death. So yeah, it's really, again, I've just, I'm loving Catherine Center's books right now. And this is no different. I, it's just really heartwarming. It's funny. It's sweet. There's, there's a secret that Jean is, has been keeping that we don't know what it is, but we've heard reference to it. So we know there's something happening or some big reveal is going to come. But even that'll be low stakes. Like nothing, <laughs> nothing is ever too horrible in these books, which is just how I like them. So that is The Lost Husband by Catherine Center. And I actually have a bit of a dilemma because just today, so this is the second to last book. So I only have one more book that's already published that I haven't read yet of Catherine Center's. But just today, I got access to an advanced reader's copy of her book that comes out next spring. Mm -hmm. And so my dilemma is, do I hold off on reading that for a while? Because once I read it, then I really will have nothing for potentially (laughs) two years or something until a new book would come out. Or do I continue on my streak of reading these books yeah. and just gobble it up? So I have not decided yet. This is yet. the quandary. This is late breaking news. It just yeah. happened this afternoon. So <laughs> <laughs> anyway, all right, let's go back and list off all the books we talked about today. Okay. I talked about The World Cannot Give by Tara Isabella Burton, Truly Devious by Maureen Johnson, Babel by R.F. Kwong. And what I'm reading this week is The Cloisters by Katie Hayes. And I talked about The Cartographers by Pang Shepard, Never Saw Me Coming by Vera Kurian, Magic for Liars by Sarah Gailey, and what I'm reading this week is The Lost Husband by Catherine Center. I can't believe you brought in lightness 
into I our, know. Our dark, well, I was going to talk dark. about the cloisters, but then you talked about it. <laughs> so if you'd like to tell us what your favorite Dark Academia book is, we would love to hear it. You know, you know, Anne wants all of your suggestions mm-hmm. if she hasn't read them all already. <laughs> Uh, can reach us at wellreadpod at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook or on Instagram at wellreadpodcast. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or your other podcast provider of choice. Our theme music is Kitten by Poddington Bear. We keep our show notes at wellreadpodcast.wordpress.com where you can find a listing of every book we talked about in this and every episode. Thank you all for listening and happy reading. <laughs>